do you still have do you still have your card from last week do you remember the card from last week we didn't actually have a physical card but we referred to the index card and we reminded you that we all have trials we all have difficulties we all have hardships we all have things that sometimes keep us awake at night and i suggested do you remember this last week were you guys here last week? You're looking at me blankly. Um, I suggested last week that you, that you take out your mental card and that you make a mental note on your card. What was that thing that you're going through? The thing that keeps you awake at night? The thing that you pray about? The thing that you worry about? Your trial. I like Elizabeth Elliot. She's with the Lord now. I like to read Elizabeth Elliot. She, she wrote in one of her books, Trials are the good shepherd's black dog. Trials are the good shepherd's black dog. She was teaching something that, the, that Peter wrote about here that you may have experienced, that people who walk with the Lord experience. She was teaching that God is doing something good in us who endure faithfully our trials and who look to him for help in our trials. He's doing something. And this is what the text is going to show us today. And the message today, last week, if you recall, there were five points and you only got three of them. There was a great protest afterwards. People came to me and they said, don't ever cut your sermon short. Just keep going as long as you need to, to give us all of the points. I made that up. Nobody said that. Nobody said that. But the notes are online, and I want to give you the other points. The other, in other words, I want to finish teaching this text from 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 12, because it helps us very practically to know what to do with the trials that we write on our card. How can good come? How can we be, be it helped in our trials? How can we actually have inexpressible joy, joy that's hard to express, while we're going through a, a various trial or a dark trial, or later on, Peter's going to say a fiery trial. In fiery trials they faced, they faced persecution for their Christian faith. And Peter said to them, while he was being carried along by the Holy Spirit in inspired writ, the fiery trials are to, are to test you. The fiery trials are to make something better of you, to help you. In the 90s, we started a church in central Ohio, in Mount Vernon, Ohio, and we had our elders' meetings on Wednesday morning at McDonald's. And so we, the other elders would meet me on Wednesday mornings, and we would talk, and we would pray. We'd talk about the things of the Lord. There was an elderly fellow. He was across the aisle. He was a Nazarene guy. And he sat across the aisle on Wednesday mornings and he would always listen with great interest because he really loved the Lord and he really knew the Lord. And he would listen in on our elders' meetings and sometimes he would just have a little comment. He would, sometimes he would correct our grammar. Other times he would just make a little comment. And then I remember one Wednesday morning, he was always there and then he wasn't. And uh, we didn't know him really well. We just, hey, where is that guy? And then a number of months later, I was grocery shopping at Kroger, and I saw a man who looked a lot like him. I stopped and looked at him, and he was just a shell of the man. He was the same man, but he was battling cancer. And I said, oh, 
I'm, I missed you. I missed you at our meetings. And he said, I have cancer. And I said, I'm so sorry. And I'll never forget, he's standing there by this frozen food case looking at me, and tears just ran down his face. And here's what he said to me. God is so good to me. God is so good to me. And then he went to be with the Lord not long after that. And I was really young. I drove home thought, how can a man dying of cancer say with such conviction, with tears running down his face, God is good to me. Now, there's a person that has dying grace. There's a person that understands, a person of faith, who understands that even while God was allowing him to go through this great trial that would actually take his life, that God was good. So if you'll permit me just again to, to read a part of this passage that we, we've already read, and we'll do this a number of times. Verse 7 is, is, is verse 6. In this you rejoice now. He's talking about various trials. In this you rejoice, though now, for a little while, if necessary, you are grieved by various trials. It, it, in this you rejoice, though now, for a little while, if necessary, or as God sees it's necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. You wrote different things on your cards. And yet, any trial for the believer who applies faith, and you'll see that now. So let's review. So let's review. I'll just give you points. Uh, number one, in studying 1 Peter 1, 3 through 12, our blessings here will outweigh our burdens. The scriptures teach that our blessings will outweigh our burdens. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that's imperishable, undefiled, unfading, and kept in heaven for you who are being who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. One, one, big, one big sentence with five different blessings listed. You're blessed with mercy. You're blessed with hope. You're blessed with an imperishable inheritance. You're blessed with security guarded by God himself, blessed with deliverance or salvation. So your blessings outweigh, your burdens are great, but your blessings, if you know the Lord, if you're a believer, if you're trusting in, in a moment, you'll see your blessings will outweigh your burdens. Not true with an unbeliever, but with a believer it is. Second, your blessings will outlast your burdens. They'll not only outweigh your burdens, but they'll outlast your burdens. That's why it talks to us in imperishable inheritance. So we rejoice in the trials, recognizing they're temporary. In verse 6, in this you rejoice Imagine it, right? You're, you're going through a various trial, hard trial, but because you're saved and because you believe what, that God is doing something, you rejoice at the same time you're going through the trial. You, you rejoice, though now for a little while, and you know, it's like when you put your finger in the fire just for two or three minutes, it doesn't seem like a little while. Because when you're in pain, pain just feels like forever, but this is the poetic way that Peter is referring to it to remind us that when compared to eternity, remember last week when I was talking about my old girlfriends? 
seriously got me in trouble there. Uh, my old girlfriends, that, that the pain they inflicted on me was only remembered when I want to use them for a sermon illustration. Because I have had 42 years of a companion in life who has loved me and who has been with me and who talks with me and who listens with me, lives in bed with me at night and prays. 42 years of fellowship with a person who has exclusively reserved that kind of fellowship for me in the world. Little old Kent, can you imagine? It makes me just think, whatever, I don't care that Lori didn't appreciate the two Valentines I gave her in the second grade. I don't care that Violet never came and got the flower that I gave her. I never even think about her. <laughs> Knucklehead. Anyway, that was a dumb name anyway, Violet. Who names their kid that? Just kidding, just kidding. You're Violet, you're like getting out and leaving right now. Our blessings outlast our burdens. In other words, they're for a little while when compared to eternity. Remember what I told you last week? The apostles didn't have a complex philosophy. Uh, they, they, weren't, they didn't like have a complex philosophy to describe the compensation a believer has for their pain. They would just say, well, you're going to heaven forever to be with Jesus forever. And your life will be better, lots better forever, lots better forever. If that's true, we don't need a complex philosophy. We need faith, you see? We need faith. We need to believe that. Do I believe that heaven is forever? Do I believe that it's infinitely better than anything that I could enjoy, let alone suffer right now? If I have faith, if I believe in that which I cannot see, if I genuinely believe that, faith, if I have faith, then my trials will turn to good. I have blessings that out, outweigh my burdens. I have blessings that outlast my burdens, verse 6. And our blessings are often arranged to come out of our burdens or be produced by what happens when we're having burdens. Verse 7, so the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. This is just all really good stuff, isn't it? This is beautiful. All crushed, all crunched together here in one little short package. It's an amazing letter that Peter wrote. It's almost like he actually knew God. It's almost like he actually suffered things. And he'd experienced suffering and been consoled by God and believed there was a heaven and that that life would be, of course, he did believe that. And, and he understood that trials are the good shepherd's black dog if you believe. And that comes, that brings us to number four, repeating. One, our blessings outweigh our burdens, verses three through five. Our blessings outlast our burdens, verse 6. Our blessings often are arranged to come out of our burdens, verse 7. But this, number 4, requires faith. This requires faith. Not a complex philosophy, but faith. Just simple, I will build my life on that which I cannot see, on one who I have not seen. And this is verses 8 and 9. Now listen carefully. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you have not seen him, you love him. It's, it's interesting to me to say you understand him. It says you love him. As if it's an expression of faith, it's affection for Jesus. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. 
And then it's going to, a little riff after this, a salvation that's going to involve prophets, preachers, and angels, and the Holy Spirit. It ends really sweet. You, 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 when? So are you, are you tracking with this? You, you take your card, and you say, my goodness, I don't like this trial. My wayward child keeps me awake at night. God says, I'm going to use this. I'm going to make gold out of this. I'm going to bring good out of this. I'm like, are you really? Believe me. Trust me. Have faith. Trust me. Uh, I have a financial problem. I have a physical problem. I have a family problem. I have anxiety. I have depression. I have uh, a dark memory of a difficult, painful injury to me in the past that I can't get free of. This isn't complex. Do you believe there is a God? His son is Jesus. He died so that you could be forgiven and spend eternity in heaven, which is unimaginably blissful and will never end. Do you or do you not believe? Will you believe in one you have not seen? That's, that's how the apostles all deal with that question. They don't have thick Books of philosophy, of theology. It's wonderful in the theology of the queen of the sciences. As wonderful as that is, they have very straightforward proclamations of the resurrection. Their message is Jesus was dead, the one who said he is God, and he is alive, and he's coming back. And he's going to bring you with him to heaven forever and compensate you well forever for whatever you suffer do you believe though you have not seen him you love him though you do not now see him you believe in him and in that then you rejoice with an inexpressible joy have you experienced this that's what that dear man standing by the frozen food was doing how could he have that deep sense of joy that made him weep joyful tears and express his conviction that god is good while he was ending his earthly life and about to commence his eternal life. God, have you had the experience of joy? I know you have. Many of you have. Of inexpressible joy. The old hymn, Jen, thank you for the old Holy Spirit songs today. They were so good. I, my first solo when I was a kid was uh, the sweet Holy Spirit. I was like singing over there. My wife told me, shh. <laughs> That's so beautiful. Remember the old gospel song was saying, Joy unspeakable and full of glory, full of glory, full of glory. Remember the song? Don't know it, do you? There's joy unspeakable and full of glory, full. See, I'm singing. I'm sorry. And the half has never yet been sold. Did you guys sing that? Anyway, it it was a good song. There's a joy that doesn't make any sense to people who don't believe. While you're going through the trial, while you're being... While you're going through the hardship, while you're getting up early, while you're staying up late, while your kids are throwing up, while your husband doesn't understand you, you know, you know, there's something like, you know, I can't explain it. I don't like this, but I, but there is this like artesian well of joy that is somewhere down in my soul because I know that Jesus, we said he is, that he's coming back someday. He's going to take me with him. He's going to compensate me well for whatever I have suffered, even though I don't deserve it. And it's going to be forever. At the revelation of Jesus Christ, when God, when Jesus, who is present, reveals his presence to us, the revelation of Jesus Christ, therefore the deepest faith can emerge from the darkest trials. And according to what the Bible teaches consistently, 
This is how God works. He works through our things we don't prefer to, to do the things that he wants to do in our lives. This is the way he works. Another way of saying it is the most beautiful flowers grow in the darkest soil. If you believe, if you will keep moving forward in faith, obeying him and living as if the Bible is true, if you will do that. And so it's in the gift of trials, the trials then become what Augustine called, and others have picked up on this, a severe mercy. Our greatest gifts come in disguise. Our greatest opportunities come disguised as heartaches, bad news, trouble. We, we want it, what we need most is to know God, and to know God best, we, we have to pass through suffering. We know he, we follow the one who said, he described his life as taking up his cross, and he described following him as taking up your cross daily which would mean that we should expect that there will be heartache and suffering and trials on our cards, or we would have a deck of cards. The most beautiful flowers grow from the darkest soil, and so our trials then can be severe mercies if we have faith, if we believe in the one we cannot see, and we love the one we can't see, and we keep moving forward in obedience to him. Does it make sense? Think about whatever it is that you're going through and you're thinking like maybe you're a single girl and you're like, there's no decent guys around. And there, and not, and there won't be a companion for me. Maybe I'll just go my own way. Maybe I'll just do what seems right to me instead. No, that won't be good. But if you stay in the fire of loneliness, of fear, and you trust him and you keep trusting him, when you think it's almost like, I can't endure this trial anymore. I can't endure this fire anymore. I can't take this anymore. I can't do it. Yes, you get it. You can't. You, you have to rely on the Lord. You trust the one you can't see. Then those stories that you read that are beautiful to read, stories of faith and virtue and character and inspiring stories are not stories where people didn't have trials. They're, they're stories where those people that had trials continued to take steps forward in belief, in faith, trusting God and obeying him. I have to, I have to, the, the, the passage says there in verse, and I think it's interesting, um, verse 8, though you haven't seen him, you love him. Though you don't now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that's inexpressible. So, so I'm a, talker guy. I'm a communicator person. That's how, that's how I've been since I was a little boy. And I remember the frustration of feeling like, I can't describe what I'm trying to describe here. There, there were two things as a little boy. I always wanted to describe the humor. This is going to tell you something about me that's not particularly flattering. The humor of somebody getting hit in the face with a pie how do you describe that? I, as a little boy, I would think, how do you describe that? I've grown up since then. I, I'd rather eat the pie than throw it at somebody. There's that. Uh, or that inexplicable feeling you have at Christmas. How can you describe that? Can I tell you one other? Are we friends? Friends can repeat things to one another. When I got in my red Jeep, 
The first time I went to preach, after I'd been kind of roughed up in a church and ended poorly, I was feeling sad, and you know the story probably, and, and I was going to go speak somewhere. The first place I was going to go speak up north in, in Michigan at a little camp with some guys from a church, a men's retreat. And I went out and got in my old Jeep. It was just a, a lot of miles on it. Didn't, know, didn't have any insurance, didn't have any income. Didn't, have, didn't know if I was going to ever get to invited to be a pastor somewhere though that's what I'd spent my life wanting to do. And I had every reason not to be happy. We're being treated with injustice by, by some, not, not the people in the church. I'm not picking on them. I'm just saying there were those who were doing wrong. And, and my daughter was suffering and our whole family was suffering. Nothing about it was happy. Nothing about it was good. And, I, and I'll never forget, and I tell it because it's inexpressible and I never can seem to really explain it, that when I got out in my car and turned the key, there was a flood of joy that came over me. And, and I, it's almost as if I wanted to listen to the radio, but I didn't turn it on because I felt the presence of the Lord with me. And as I drove up across the state and I, saw, I remember stopping at a rest area, I have a picture of this. I was alone, I stopped at a rest area and I just got out, God, I thank you for being with me right now. I know you're with me, and I just feel this amazing confidence and amazing security and amazing joy. I, it's inexpressible, and I want to, I tell, and I'm probably irritating you right now, I want to tell it over and over again. I never want to forget it. I wrote it in a book because it was so sweet. It's inexpressible. That's the, that's the joy that only a, only a person that's going through a trial and trusting God can have. And I want, to tr I want to challenge you. There's probably a level of joy you cannot get by going to Cedar Point or getting a new truck, as cool as that would be, or, or going, you know, to some, having your team win the Big Ten or whatever it is. But there's that joy where you go, I am being crushed by a hardship, but I know that God is in it. And I know that he's with me. And I'm enjoying his fellowship and his, his presence. There is this severe, severe mercy. Sheldon Van Aken, who wrote this beautiful uh, book, um, which I have read probably once a year for the last 40 years or so, he was talking about how he and his wife in their youth came to believe in Christ and how God used all kinds of different things that you wouldn't expect to stimulate faith in him. And, 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 and some of them were good and beautiful. And some of them were really bad and hard. He, he, he was talking about when he was in the Navy. And he was talking about when he was in the Pacific. He said, when I was standing on the bridge of the ship looking at the path of the moon on the Pacific. Later, when I, in the, when I was walking in the evening and hearing the bells of Oxford, I felt this nudge toward Christ. And he says, I suspected that all the yearnings for I knew not what that I had ever felt when autumn leaves are burning in the twilight, when wild geese fly crying overhead, when I look up at bare branches against the stars, when spring arrives in an April morning, they all are in truth yearnings for him, for God. I yearn towards him, he said. Now you all know this. But what it implies is if there's a yearning, there's an absence of something, there's a hunger for something, there's something that you know is there, but it's missing. Are you tracking with me? And, and, and this has to happen in the crucible of trials. This has to happen in the absence of something that you desire 
There has to be the absence of something you desire or the pain of not quite being where you, am I making any sense? It's in, that's a gift from the Lord. That yearning, that longing, that emptiness, that hurt, that pain, that trial is a gift from the Lord to a person of faith. That's what I'm saying. And, and so that's why C.S. Lewis said our wantings are our best havings. Our wantings are our best havings. In other words, that, that, that you can desire something you don't have. It shouldn't be this way. It won't always be this way, will it, Lord? That yearning, that longing, that sense of angst, that like, that's not right. That's, that is part of the crucible, the fire that God is using to make of you what he wants to make of you, something in his image. And then, and then there's this final phrase of this. Um, I'm sorry, it's not a phrase, it's a, like a paragraph, it's gorgeous, and, and it mentions prophets and preachers and angels, and it mentions the Holy Spirit repeatedly in this section with the prophets, and, the, and you think, I remember when I first studied this, I, as a matter of fact, this week, I, my mind went back 40, 50 years, 45 years or so to my dad's message on this. It was in Coltown, Ohio, and I was sitting over on this side, and my dad said tonight, today, we're going to preach on 1 Peter. Trials are normal for a Christian. And I had been through a series of painful things that I had kept to myself. And I didn't want to tell people because it didn't seem manly to admit that I'd been through these painful things. So I kept it to myself. And I remember opening my Bible and my dad teaching 1 Peter suffering and I wrote the notes down in my Bible and as I was thinking about that I was thinking I think I still have that Bible and I went back here where I hide a lot of my books and this week and I dug out that Bible and I found those notes in my juvenile handwriting I remember God helping me understand that the things that I went through that were so painful were being used of God to help me and I, and I decided to trust him with those things as a boy and I thought oh my goodness if 45 years from now a young man that was listening to me talk today would still have the notes about what I said and they would help him find his way to God what a wonderful thing that would be and the troubles he's going to face the heartaches he's going to have is just a broken fallen world and it's getting kind of ugly for Christians he's going to have girls break up with him he's going to have mistreatment, misunderstanding, injustice, heartache, difficulty, unemployment, whatever might come, get cut from the team. How can I endure this? Well, here's how. The scope of this is, of our salvation is so great that it should overpower. This is, this is like repeating what we've already said, but it's, he, that's what the text does. It, cycle, it circles back and repeats it, but it involves, <laughs> it involves um, uh, prophets, preachers, and angels, and the Holy Spirit basically saying this section that i'm about to describe to you is basically saying this is so much bigger than you realize your salvation is so much bigger so much heavier lasts so much longer than the trials that you're going to go through now are you ready to hear this listen to it as i read it to you concerning this salvation oh and speaking of your salvation he's saying right this joy inexpressible filled with glory obtaining the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls now concerning that salvation the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired, carefully inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating 
when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. Tracking, your salvation was the interest of prophets hundreds of years before. This is a big thing. Prophets found it interesting who were moved upon by the Holy Spirit. And they were, they were pointing toward Jesus. And then it says, and it was revealed, this is verse 12, revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you. These are preachers. Prophets found your salvation very interesting. And they were moved upon by the Holy Spirit to untangle the mysteries of it. Very big. And preachers, thanks for, the, for my mom who told me about Jesus from the old lady across the street who knitted the little cross and described it to the girl sitting on the, 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 the CEF lady, the, the release time Bible class lady who went through the mountains of Kentucky and told the little girls in the mountains of Kentucky that Jesus loved them. Preachers of the gospel. This is big. This is a big thing. Prophets moved by the Holy Spirit. Preachers empowered by the Holy Spirit. And angels stop in heaven and go, oh, this is big. Your salvation, what God is doing in your life through these trials, this is big. Prophets, preachers, angels. The Holy Spirit the weight and the wonder of our blessings is greater than that of our burdens. That's number five. It's cosmic in scope. Big. This is the big news all over the world and throughout time. Global warming isn't the big news. Jesus is going to melt the whole thing down someday. Don't, don't spend a ton of time worrying about that. Um, it's not the big news. It's distraction. Not the current political debate. There will always be another political debate, another quasi-pseudo-messiah person that's going to solve all our problems. Not party politics, not economics, not sports or entertainment. It's the progress of the gospel in the world that matters most to the prophets and the preachers and the angels and the Holy Spirit. And it ought to mean a lot to you. You're considering your salvation. That's what it says here. That's pretty cool, isn't it? Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person and time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you. And then the Holy Spirit sent them from heaven and then this is the last phrase, things into which angels long to look. Like we go, oh, when I get time and I'm not, you know, thinking about gardening or sports or the stock market or my 401k or the gospel about the neighbor, then we'll have a little Sunday thing where we talk about our salvation. That's not, no, in heaven, the angels are going, look, look, this is the big news over here. The prophet's like, wow, if I could only understand that more, the angels are looking into that. Isn't that cool? prophets because salvation was the focus of prophets looking forward, preachers because salvation was delivered by spirit-filled preachers, evangel and good news runners, angels because salvation was the interest of angels looking down. Leo, Pastor Leo is here today. He, he came to my study with a, can I borrow your story? Okay, then I will. Pastor Leo came with a story, um, and, and, and he said Garrison Keeler was referring to this, and, and I'm reading Garrison Keeler. Pastor Leo gave me this. When we, looked, when we took a long car trip west, we carried a box of gospel tracts titled, the, Wage, <laughs> the Wages of Sin is Death. 
which, which it is, of course. We rolled up and wrapped them in gold cellophane and threw them out the window at rural mailboxes for people to read and be converted to Christianity. It's a thought. They, I'm like, he's kidding, right? That's not real. Um, it, it, then it says, um, so uh, dad drove very fast to North Dakota, Montana, so as to avoid the expense of an extra night in a motel for six kids and two adults. And this made accurate bombing impossible. And it dawned on me that Christianity is the prevalent belief in that part of the country. And that Buddhist population of North Dakota was rather slight. So I gave up evangelism. <laughs> it, it's kind of funny. Uh, <laughs> Leo said, that was for real. I'm like, no. Yeah. He said, my dad had a box of those. He brought one in. Leo brought me this from his dad's, right? Your, your stuff. Uh, you see it? It's a, it's a gospel track wrapped in cellophane that people would, this was the thing, that people, in order to give the gospel to other people, they would drive by and they, they, they would not buy them coffee. They would just like flip this out the window and hopefully they would be miraculously converted. It seems a little sketchy to me. You know, like, seriously, we can't even really, can we talk? Did Jesus do it that way? Leo's dad had a box of them, and, and Leo brought me one, which is kind of cool. Garrison Keeler is an apostate, but he didn't lie about everything. <laughs> He's a funny guy, saying, um, interesting. And when I heard that, I thought, what a silly way to evangelize, you know, throwing cellophane-wrapped gospel tracts at people. What a silly way uh, to evangelize. Of course, you know, then you think, so how are you doing it? What did you do last week for people who are about to perish and spin out into eternity away from God forever and never experience his glories and his grace and his gifts and his love? You, you think, like I do, that the cellophane idea is probably not the best idea. So the question really is, how did you do it? How did you obey what Jesus said? Go into all the world. Thank you for those of you who keep faithfully going and making breakfast. That's so much better than cellophane-wrapped tracks. Biscuits and gravy, cellophane-wrapped tracks, that's not even hard. I'm like, I'm going to listen to the gospel better over biscuits and gravy than over a person throwing a tract at me. Uh, or, or a, a loving conversation with a neighbor, or we got a men's group going this fall over at Gab Feller's house. Um, it's called The Fire Ring. I was thinking of that Johnny Cash song, I Fell Into a Ring of Fire, but I will not sing that for you today. Um, men's Fire Ring. Kind of cool, doesn't it sound manly? And so we sit around a fire, and what are we doing there? We're, we're trying to follow Jesus. That's what. We're, we're trying to obey him, and we're trying to help other people. This is big. This is big. Do you see it? It's so big, prophets, I kind of made my point, right? Preachers, angels, the Holy Spirit have been looking at it throughout time, and it will be the thing we sing about throughout time. So it's kind of a, a big deal right now. And, and our church, we, our leaders have gotten together and prayed, and we pray every Saturday morning at 7, and we've come up with a way. You could use a different way, but we've come up with a way for everybody to be involved in this. We try to do it ourselves. We fail, but we try. Pray, love, invite, gospel conversation. It's, it's better than cellophane-wrapped tracks. It's our way of telling people about Jesus. I pray for people who don't know the Lord. I pray, uh, how can I love them? 
and I maybe invite them to something appropriate, breakfast or church or a concert, and then I get good. Our, we, here's what I'm getting at. This is so big, it will help us through our trials. It'll, it's so big, it'll help us through our trials. And we should be good at it. We should get good at it. We should, we should all work, and I know you want to, we should all work at upping our gospel conversation game. Lois works in, out in the world with people who don't know the Lord and comes home. She would not bill herself as like a flaming evangelist, like I'm going out to conquer the world today. She's not, matter of fact, she kind of like when we talk, I'm in a lot of trouble right now because I'm not supposed to use personal illustrations, so, so you can pray for me. And so she's, she's, she, but she's a Christian and, and her, her, her little candle company is called The Preacher's Wife, so it's kind of outs her there. So people will say to her, they'll ask her questions and then she just has to witness because they're asking her questions. It just happens. You know, she'll come home and tell the stories. Like one lady was, you know, asking her questions. I'm like, oh my goodness, Lois. When people are asking you questions like that, you're in the heart of it. You're in the, you're in the high corn right there. You're like, tell them the story. And they're texting you questions. And in the world that we're living in today, people are going through trials. Have you discovered this? They're hurting out there. They're getting beat up. They're getting awful hurts. They don't know what to do about their hurts. They aren't, they are clueless. They don't know that anything good is going on in them. That's our job. We get to tell them. We have to have the experience first, and then we can tell them no burden will outweigh our trials and our, our faith. No burden will outlast our faith. And so how will what is on your card help you follow Jesus and help other people follow Jesus. That's the, that's the big news in the world. And I trust that you will be given grace to endure and faith to endure, to be faithful unto the end. And to that end, we're going to do a couple of things today. And that is we have prayer partners that are going to come and stand here at the front. They're coming up here for you in case you want to pray with somebody. Maybe you tell them your burden or ask them a question about the Bible or set up a, a follow-up uh, as the music plays after we have our benediction uh, Ken White is going to come now and pray for us. And after he prays, after he blesses you, then you may have fellowship out there or you may come here and talk with someone who's come here to pray. Let's stand together while Ken comes and let's um, ask the Lord how he would have us obey this truth that we have studied today. Ken.